Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From building a well-balanced college list and developing a payment strategy to creating a high school plan and more. Each episode will help guide your family through various steps of the process. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga from College Coach, um, and I'm hoping that some of you listening are interested in a bachelor's in music or in musical theater, because we're going to be talking all about that today. Um, and in fact, for my first segment, if you're watching this video, you'll see um, Charlie Murphy, who's the director of Musical Theater College Auditions. Um, so we're going to be chatting with him for the first segment, and he's using his own experience as a graduate of Carnegie Mellon's extremely impressive BFA program in musical theater and his experience as a current actor to help students applying to these programs. For my second segment, I'll be talking with Kurt Isaacson, musician and former admission officer at California Institute of the Arts, as well as one of my colleagues here at Bright Horizons College Coach. And then for my last segment, I'll be talking with college coach veteran and finance expert Alex Bickford about asking for more scholarship money. So that's going to be real relevant for everybody, even if you're not interested in music. Mm-hmm. All right. So welcome, Charlie. Thanks so much for joining me today. So honored to be joining you. Excited to chat about the theater process. Absolutely. Listen, I gave a little bit of your background, but I was hoping that you could kind of expand on that and then go into telling me about your organization. Like, like how are you, you know, how are you able to help students with this area? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I started, I, those watching the video are going to see I'm very young for having been doing this for 20 years. Um, <laughs> but I started about 20 years ago. You know, this very complicated process, which has become its own beast for anyone who's kind of looking at the, the theater world. We do mostly acting and musical theater um, applications. But this process has become so complicated and we our company sort of sprung up around the need that was there for families just to help navigate this process. I mean, the college process as a whole, of course, as we know and you know very well, is, mm-hmm. is so complicated. But then there's this whole other extra wing of it when you're looking at audition-based programs. So as these uh, students were, were noticing they were getting more and more competitive, they're adding more and more schools, they just needed guidance. And that's, of course, what we've been doing for the past 20 years. And we've sort of formed our company around the needs of the process and, and what the students were, were looking for. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I wish I'd known about you 10 years ago because I had a student applying into musical theater programs and it worked out great for her. She went yep. to the Hart School at University yep. of Hartford. Great school. I had no idea how to help her. And yep. that aspect, I mean, I could help her with the general college admission, but yep. her process was so stressful that it made every other student I've worked with like look like it was it was chill. That. All the time. So, and from so many expert guidance counselors, expert college coaches who know the college process really well, they'll say, How many schools are you looking at? What? I don't understand. You know, Mm -hmm. because this process is. You know, it is insane. I, you know, you hear some of those people quote like Harvard or MIT or some of those incredibly competitive schools. Carnegie Mellon, which, you know, uh, I went to uh, now many years ago, wasn't quite as competitive back then, but they often accept less than 1% of their applicants. I mean, the numbers are just insane. And so you need a lot of schools if you're going to give yourself a chance. And I think it's also difficult because unlike MIT or Harvard, where the student might be able to almost self-select themselves out or in based mm-hmm. on their SATs, it is such a subjective process. You know, even if you do seek an expert artistic coach, we're not going to be able to tell you you're for sure a Michigan student, you're for sure a Hart student, you're for sure a Carnegie Mellon student. 
we don't know. It, it, mm-hmm. You know, you got to walk in the audition room and actually book the the audition. We can say, hey, you you're more competitive or less competitive in terms of of your artistic work, but there is a lot of subjectivity and there's a lot of kind of throwing paint against the wall in the process. Yeah, yeah, which is why they have to apply to so many. Yeah. And really, like with a, with that low of an acceptance rate, you have to assume that no matter how talented you are, you actually have to assume you're not going to get in. That's which right. is so heart wrenching for a teenager. I mean, it's bad enough for an adult. But for a teenager, though, I'll say great preparation for the profession they're potentially walking into. If you want to be an actor, we always say it's like, great. Ooh, I got another rejection today. Okay, that's good training for me because it's going to happen. Even to we do have students who maybe pass all of their pre-screens. Pre-screens is a big part of the the process where you have to you first send a video in before you can even do the the live audition. But almost nobody's going to escape the process completely unscathed of some Mm -hmm. big rejection and some heartache and some, I was hoping it was going to be this and it ended up here. Even though most people do end up really happy with what their fit ends up being, Mm -hmm. you're going to take some rejection along the way. It's just, you know, nobody's for everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. All right. So tell me, um, tell me a bit more about what your organization does to help students. Like how can they get in touch with you? At what point in the process should they be in touch? All that good stuff. Well, you know, so we are a team of working artists. So we're, we have a pretty large team. Many, they're all actively working in the business. And so, you know, that's part of the reason why they're large is some of them are off on Broadway and they're not working with us. And then some are in and out. And, you know, we sort of match our team to the um, student themselves that we meet. Uh, we'll meet you at any point in the process. It's certainly helpful for us to meet you earlier. Um, and we sort of form a pretty a la carte uh, service based on what you need. We can do soup to nuts with you. We can, you know, help you through the whole process. We always talk about we can help you artistically, organizationally, strategically, and psychologically, the sort of four main buckets of the of this difficult process. Primarily, people will come to us artistically for help with monologues, songs, dance combination. You know, if you're going to do musical theater specifically, we help musical theater and acting applicants. But if you're doing musical theater, you're going to prepare at least two or three monologues, two or three songs. And that's at least you're likely going to want more than that. A 60 second dance combination and this new thing called a wild card where it's like a basically a video essay where you have to show soft could be a talent or some special skill or some interest of yours that you're going to show off in a video. So it's a lot to prepare. And then a lot of the parents will also want help with the organization and the strategy of how do we apply to schools. But but based on what you have, we'll help you with whatever you need. You know, some students we help completely and some will just do their monologues or just do their songs if they're they have a home dance teacher that they like or that kind of thing. We're not you don't have to work exclusively with us. We'll we'll help you with whatever you need. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Good. And nice that there is that option out there. So what do musical theater... So this is one of the things that I run into kind of a surprising amount. So I, it shouldn't surprise me, but it does. Students who are like, well, I'm thinking about musical theater or, or majoring in theater or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. And I say, okay, are you thinking about like a BFA program, mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. conservatory program, or are you thinking about doing it within the context of a liberal arts degree? And they're like, what's the difference? Oof. You know, and I'm like, okay, you got to figure that out really soon because it makes a big difference. So maybe talk a little bit about that. Like who's going to be, what is a musical theater program BFA type and what does it take, um, who might be appropriate for that kind of a program? Because it's going to be very different from just a general degree. Yeah. And you know, a lot of our students, if you're listening to your sophomore or junior, you might not know exactly. And a lot of our Mm -hmm. students start with us and they go, we're going to look at the broad range of, of those different programs you mentioned. Some will focus really narrowly on on a certain kind of BFA. Some know they're looking at a broad BA. You know, Mm -hmm. the buckets that we kind of lump them into, and I almost like to think of it more as a spectrum than to really categorize them into buckets, but 
there are these really BFA conservatory style programs. Carnegie Mellon is kind of an odd example. Carnegie Mellon is a BFA conservatory style program, even though, of course, we know there's a really good academic university there. Mm -hmm. But we say conservatory style, meaning that 90 some percent of your classes are going to be in the acting musical theater world. So you're not take, getting a minor, you're not double majoring, you're mm -hmm. really focusing. Sometimes we'll say it's like you're going to Hogwarts, like you're learning magic all day. At Hogwarts, <laughs> they don't do a lot of like English and math. Right, you, right. you think they need math still, but they don't seem to do it at Hogwarts, right? right. It's really a lot of singing, dancing, acting almost all the time, right? Then if you move along the spectrum, and, and there's some that are in that 90%, some it's 100%. There are some places where it's like you have literally two gen ed requirements and that's it. Everything else is in the theater world. So those are the more extreme BFA conservatories, some of which aren't even affiliated with universities. So mm -hmm. sometimes you'll end up with a conservatory that's just, just a conservatory. And, you know, the Juilliard School is not really mm -hmm. a university, right? Those kind of things. Um, and then you move along that, you know, if you look at schools like University of Michigan, um, NYU, those are what we call BFA liberal art programs, still mm -hmm. a BFA program, but now it is possible to minor. It is even possible to double major, right? So you're still going to get what we call conservatory style training, meaning intensive professional training, but you can potentially get significantly more academics than you're going to get at those BFA conservatory style program. And then you'll have audition-based BAs, which that audition-based I think is, is important in terms of the caliber of your classmates and how that's going to change things. So schools like American University is an audition-based BA, and then you'll have non-audition BAs, which is basically the rest of colleges where you can still major in theater. You can still uh, study theater at almost any school in the country. Mm -hmm. It's just going to be a, at a much less kind of professional feeling level if you're on that, that far right side of the spectrum in the non-audition BAs. That does not mean, as we all know, that you can't be a successful actor having gone to a non-audition BA program. You know, mm -hmm. Lin-Manuel Miranda went to a non-audition program right. and then wrote Hamilton. So it's not like you can't be uh, an amazing performer, but you're not going to be coming in at that, that professional level. So I think when you talk about the kind of student, where do you fall on the spectrum? I think it's about how certain are you that you want to, at 22, be hitting New York City and auditioning shows. You know, if you're not 100% certain, then I wouldn't say you're a good candidate for the BFA Conservatory. But if you know you want to eat, breathe, and sleep musical theater, then probably your list shouldn't be filled with tons of BAs. You, you probably want more of those BFA-style programs. Mm -hmm. You know, and then, of course, there's always the tension, I'm sure, as you know, is sometimes the student really wants nothing but the acting, singing, dancing, and the parent says, I'd really love a double major. That's where you might find some of those more compromised schools. Yeah, yeah. And it's good to know that those more compromised schools are out there. But I love what you're saying here. Like, do you eat, sleep and breathe this? Mm -hmm. Or is this something that you, it's fun for you to do and you want to keep doing it on some level? If that's the case, a lot of colleges are going to make that available to you and you can still have your chemistry major or whatever it might be. Yeah. But if this is all you want to do, that's when you look at those programs. And we find sometimes that throughout the process, people will kind of learn that about themselves. So sometimes you'll start with a broader list. That's again, why sometimes these lists end up so big is because people aren't hundred percent certain. So they have a little bit of A, B and C in the list and they'll learn from doing it. Oh no, I do want this all day mm -hmm. or the opposite. Sometimes we'll have students go through and go, that was really fun. I even got into this really competitive BFA school, mm -hmm. but I realized I'm not ready to commit. I do still want to study psychology. I do still want criminal justice. I do want this mm -hmm. other thing. And so then they, they end up at a Northwestern. They ended up at a different kind of school where it's a little bit broader and they can get more academics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what are kind of best practices for students who do want these schools? What are some of the things that you would encourage them to, like how make themselves more competitive? And I'm mm -hmm. also kind of curious about like common pitfalls, what are sort of mistakes that students make over and over again? Not the same student, but you, you see it over and over again yeah. that students do this again and again. I think it's really hard. And, you know, this is not to denigrate any high school acting teachers, some of whom I know and who are amazing. I think 
there are some old ideas. When we talk about pitfalls, there are some old ideas about sort of theater and musical theater in terms of conversations around type and what they think colleges are expecting that sometimes end up being traps for um, students. You know, I'm sure at some point I'm going to brag about my podcast and something I talk all about. You should. The, I will. That's what we're <laughs> yeah, here for. Right? Yeah. Um, I talk to all these college faculty and they'll say it again and again. We are not looking for specific types. If you look like a young ingenue, you don't have to come in and sing a sweet princess kind of song, you know. So I think sometimes people will get trapped into going, I think this school is looking for um, you know, or maybe they have the guidance from a high school teacher saying, I think I need to act a certain way. I think I need to do this kind of material because that's what's quote unquote appropriate for me. And that's what I've been told I'm supposed to do. And again, sometimes it's not, I, I don't want to blame the high school teacher or the, the the guidance. Sometimes it's also just a little easier from the student perspective to go, give me the right answer. And then they'll go, okay, I'll take the right answer. These are the right schools. These are the mm -hmm. right, you know, as if um, it's that simple of a process. So that's maybe the pitfall. And I guess the reverse of that is like, what you want to do as a student is to like go in there and as much as possible authentically reveal the young artist that you are. Like that's what the colleges actually, they all talk about looking for. We're looking for potential. We're not looking for perfect performers. We don't need you to be on Broadway at 18 years mm -hmm. old. You know, they want to see your potential, but they also really want to see who you are. Right. That's where I think it's not that different than a, the normal college process. And we talk about your essay and you talk about, you know, it's like, you're not trying to write toward what, you think the people want to hear, you want to write with some your own voice and your your own authenticity. It's very similar to that in terms of the monologues you choose, the songs you choose, you know, show what kind of artist you are. And then the colleges get to go, oh, cool. Maybe I want a little more of this, a little less of this, right? They'll get to have a little bit more input in it if you're revealing who you are, as opposed to if you think the University of Michigan only takes these kind of people. And so then you try to be that kind of person. Now you're kind of showing them something that's inauthentic and, and then they'll never get to decide whether they actually want to meet you or not. Mm -hmm. I love that. And and I think the, the correlation with the general applications is exactly right. I talk to students every day who think, well, I should do this. I've heard internships are good. And mm -hmm. I'm like, well, your interest is being an English major. So what kind of, an, you know, like, but I heard science research uh -huh. is good. I'm like, well, if you want to major in science, it is, but not if you want to do something That's completely right. different. There are options. So yep. Start with who you are, always, always, always. I think that's so crucial. And I love that you're reinforcing that. Because it's also just a good lesson for them as a human being. It's not going to work if you're trying to do something that you're not. It's so you true. know, so. And then how can students reduce the stress in, a? I mean, it's going to be stressful. I think we know very clearly that it yeah. will be. But like, how can they reduce the stress to the extent possible? I do think that's where, you know, starting earlier is helpful. It's not that you need to start earlier necessarily as a competitive advantage, but for your own sanity, and especially to the parents out there, for your own sanity. You know, when we meet juniors now, as we talk in February, it is much easier to show a whole roadmap of the process. Can you begin your essays a little bit early? Let's start picking material a little sooner before you go off for the summer. You know, that kind of stuff makes the process much easier so that you're not doing it all in a big rush, right? I do think chunking it up can can make it helpful. You know, I also think I've been talking about this a lot with our students because more and more of them have anxiety and, you know, feel like they're so nervous and scared of the process that they need to do 30 schools or some, you know, insane number of schools because they go, that's the only way I can be sh sure that I'm gonna, gonna do well. And I do think that's where you gotta find your balance of going, you gotta do your best, but you also have to have a little bit of, of trust and belief that like, you're gonna show up for yourself and that you're gonna, you're going to go through this process, uh, you know, with with integrity and that if you can do that, 
you know, you don't have to game the system to go, what are all my possible double checks and triple checks? And, you know, that at some point you go, you you do trust the process and trust you've done the work and then try to enjoy the process as opposed to going, is there one more essay I could write? Could I do one more application? At some point you got to go, I've done enough. I've done it. I'm going to let the chips <laughs> fall where they may. Mm -hmm. And that actually leads in beautifully to my last question, which is, what if a student can't get into a top program? I mean, yeah. like one of these where the admit rate is below 4%, right? We've kind of touched on that, but there are other options. So what kinds yes. of things might you advise a student to do to have a so-called safety program, for example? Yeah. So we always talk about balanced lists. So having a, a large number of those very competitive programs because of the subjectivity, you don't want to just have one or two reaches in the old, mm -hmm. you know, you'd want to have a number of schools so you give yourself a real chance at it. But then having a good number, you know, at least six or seven of those schools that are not the most competitive schools in the country you know, it's not, they're never going to be a complete safety because there's always a little bit of risk. But I do think in giving yourself enough of those schools, you will ultimately find your fit. And that would be my big advice is you don't want to fool yourself into a competitive program that's not interested in you and that you might not be right for. It might be that your path is actually best for a school where you're going to be a little bit of a bigger fish and you, mm -hmm. you're going to fit in a little bit more given where you are in the process and them going, I think I'm ready to teach you and you're ready to learn from me. Often that actually ends up being a much better fit than the school that you think you wanted when you started the process. Mm -hmm. I actually know somebody who went to, I went to Reed College, a small college in Portland, Oregon, and a friend of mine was absolutely the big fish in the theater department. He directed plays, he wrote yep. plays, he was able to do everything because he was the guy. Yep. And you know what? He got a job in theater after he graduated running a small community theater, which was yep. actually exactly what he wanted to do. <laughs> so, you know, um, totally I mean, sense, yeah. I think, you know, there are times when that, you know, that was definitely for him. That was the right option. So. Yep. Um, all right. Any last thing that you want to tell me before? Uh, I mean, certainly plug your podcast. Gotta but, plug the podcast. Yeah, Come gotta on. plug the podcast. <laughs> so do that. But also, is there any anything I didn't ask about that I should have? Like any last piece of advice, or do you feel like we covered things pretty well? Um, I'll plug the podcast, and then I'll give maybe a little advice to the parents as well. Um, I will say that that podcast really is a resource, especially for any sophomores, juniors, or even seniors who are looking at the process, looking at schools. We sort of do two kinds of episodes. We do one kind of episode interviewing the faculty, primarily the faculty who are the ones auditioning you at these schools. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the reasons we started that just as a resource is that it's a little easier, I think, than looking at the websites, which can tend to be very varied. And you're reading some of the same text, but it means different things where you can where you can actually hear from the you know mouths of the faculty members, get their vibe, see what they're actually like, and then get the specific information about all those different programs. So that's half the episodes. And then the other, other half of the episode, we talk with professional actors about their paths through college and how they've become successful. Some of those are a little more geared toward our alumni students who are in college and out of college. Mm -hmm. But certainly I know a lot of our high school students will also listen to those and go, oh, it's Jesse Mueller. And how did she make navigate it through? Or Annalie Ashford or some of these cool, fancy people. And how did they navigate their college process? Mm -hmm. um, and where do they find the podcast? Like, what's the name of it again? It's and called everything? Mapping the College Edition. Mapping the College Edition, found wherever you find podcasts on Apple mm -hmm. and Stitcher. I don't think Stitchers exist anymore, but it <laughs> feels like something that people say. Spotify, whatever. You can find it where you can. Right, do, right, right. Yeah. Uh, podcast. Mapping the College Edition is what it's called. Okay. Um, and then maybe I'll just wrap with a, a little bit of parent advice because I know so many of our listeners, at least I found, are parents who are listening for their, their students and for their children. Um, which is, I'll just pass on the advice that I hear again and again. I ask all of the faculty and ask all of the, the, the artists, you know, what, what do you wish about your parents or what, what advice would you give to parents? And they always talk about, 
if it's possible, if it's in you, and I had parents who were not the most supportive of my own theatrical dreams, but if it's in you to support what your child's actual dream is, you know, and again, with your knowledge and with, you know, that doesn't mean that you can't encourage them to still go to a university or encourage them about the expertises that you have. But if you can really try to listen to your kid, if you've got a budding actor and they've got that dream and try to do whatever you can to get on the same page and be a team in supporting their dream, even if there are stipulations, again, that's not to say that you just have to bow down to exactly what they want, whether that's money or whether that's the, the kind of school. But if you can try to find a way to kind of align your goals and really hear what your your child's goals are, it's just going to save you a lot of time and energy because in the end, your kid's going to win. This, the sad thing is like, your kid's going to do what they're going to do almost certainly, or they're going to resent you for it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, the faster you can get on board and go, how do I help support this child through the experience, um, I think you'll just have a better relationship as you go through your senior mm-hmm. year. Well, I think that's wonderful advice in general. And I talk about par- parents who uh, have a budding history major might have the similar concerns. Uh, I and I, I it, yeah. speak as a history major in college. So it works out, support them and what their particular path is. So, yeah. all right. Well, listen, thank you so much, Charlie. I really appreciate it. It was my pleasure, Sally. Thanks for the chat. All right, when we return, I'll be welcoming Kurt Isaacson, so come on back. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Getting in, listeners, we're thrilled to announce the first edition of the Bright Horizons College Coach Book Club. We are reading Acceptance, a memoir by Emmy Neatfeld, chronicling Emmy's journey from foster care to Harvard. We'll be hosting Emmy on our April 4th episode, so please read along with us. You can find a link to the book on College Coach's social media channels, including Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and TikTok. And send us any questions you have for Emmy by March 22nd. We can't wait to go on this reading journey with you. For 25 years, families have trusted Bright Horizons College Coach to guide them through the college admissions process. With nearly all of our students getting into one of their top choice schools, it's no wonder why. Our experience is unmatched. As former admissions officers at top colleges and universities, we've read the essays, reviewed the applications, and made the admissions decisions. We know firsthand what colleges are looking for. Ready to meet our team? Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome, Kurt. Thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So um, I've told everyone that you're one of my colleagues here at Bright Horizons College Coach, but I would love to know your background. Like you're here to talk to us about getting a bachelor's in music, that kind of a thing. So what's your background? Um, It's a great background, so I'd love for them to hear all about it from you. Yeah, educationally, uh, I was trained as a musician. I was trained specifically as a composer. Um, So I went to undergraduate for that and also uh, did two graduate degrees in composition at Stanford University um, before I went and worked in admissions. Um, And most of my professional experience is actually in the arts. I worked at California Institute of the the Arts, which a lot of people know as CalArts out here in Los Angeles, and also worked uh, at a 
sister art school uh, called Art Center College of Design after that. And between those two, I was the chair of the music department at the New Mexico School for the Arts in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. So really all about the arts. I mean, until until you got to us. And we're very glad to have you because this is not, <laughs> <laughs> it was not my area of expertise, that's for sure. So, so what advice, I mean, how, what kind of advice would you give to students who want to pursue a conservatory education in music? And how do they know that what they want, I should kind of back up and say, how do they know that what they want is a conservatory education in music as opposed to just like a Bachelor of Arts in music? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Conservatory uh, education is going to be the vast majority of your, your schooling is going to be in music. It's going to be in uh, your professional training. So that would be your instrument or in my case, composition. Um, you will supplement that curriculum with music theory, music history, um, and a number of performance and ensemble requirements that come along with it. So in my undergraduate degree, I had 112 units that I needed needed to complete. 100 of those were in the conservatory and 12 were for the liberal arts. Mm-hmm. Um, for students who are maybe interested in uh, combining their um, education between music and another field, they might be a student who has curiosities in different academic areas. Um, BAs in music can be great for that. Um, the institution that I went to, Oberlin, um, was known for a double degree program. So students concurrently uh, completed a bachelor's of music and a bachelor's of arts. So there are options out there for students. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love institutions like Oberlin because not everybody wants to just do one thing. And actually, that's the big struggle when I'm talking to students who are thinking about getting a degree in music or musical theater is, but I really like biology too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so. exactly. And that's something that we know really well in our house. My wife is also a graduate of the conservatory. She has a uh, bachelor's in music and flute, mm-hmm. and she also completed a BA in neuroscience while she was at Oberlin. So, mm-hmm. and that's actually a very common combination is students who have an interest in a performing art and a lab science. Um, and that's something that we saw quite commonly in Oberlin. So I think this idea that we have that we sort of box artists into one category and students with academic interests, maybe in STEM fields or sciences or humanities into another um, area is not always true. And there are students, especially these days with just access to information and curiosity, um, you might be that type of student who has a lot of different interests. Mm-hmm. Well, I've noticed too, and we're getting a bit off topic here, but the strong correlation between talented musicians and talented students, there just seems to be such a remarkable correlation there. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's kind of remarkable to see. So yeah, yeah, being a practicing musician means that you have all of the skill sets that uh, it takes to succeed in academics as well. You're gritty, you have curiosity, you have a drive to, you know, perfect your, your art form. So all of those skills are applicable when it comes to also studying in academic subjects as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's, what are some tips that you would give to a student who does want a conservatory program? What are some things that are going to make their process different from a student who just wants like a BA in music, mm-hmm. right? Like a BFA in music or a bachelor's in music? How's that going to be different? So the way that you think about that, that education and the way that you think about sort of that lifestyle is very similar in my perspective to the way that a recruited athlete thinks about their sport. Um, a lot of your time, the majority of your time is going to be devoted to perfecting your art form. And uh, students who start earlier in that process, who have that 
um, drive and know that the conservatory might be in their future. Um, that means, you know, it it's counter, it, it, it runs counter to a lot of the advice we give a college coach of focusing on academic rigor and broadening that curriculum. But if you're really after a conservatory education, it means that you are going to have to spend a lot of time focusing on playing your instrument or composing. And it might mean, in some cases, taking a little bit less of a, a rigorous curriculum here or there um, so that you can afford yourself more time and more energy for, for the skill that you're trying to develop. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you... What do you say to parents who say, well, I don't want my student, like, what's he going to do with a music degree? Is that a path to poverty? Like, I'm, right. I'm kind of, I'm working with a student right now where his greatest love, honestly, is music and marching band. And mm -hmm. we've kind of found biology as like a distant second, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. what would you say? I mean, part of it breaks my heart. Obviously, whatever he wants to do, I'm going to support him. But part of me, I'm a little heartbroken for him that he can't do this thing that he clearly loves so much. Or at least he feels that he can't do it. And his parents definitely feel that he can't do it. So what, what kind of message do you give there? Yeah, that's a really good question. And that's a conversation I've had with a lot of families over the years. Um, a life in music, you know, specifically is one that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be uh, a starving artist the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. The main goal of a conservatory is really to train a musician for a professional life in music. So that might be performing in an orchestra for the rest of your life, which are great jobs. Um, people who, who work with orchestras love that kind of work and they love getting up in the morning and rehearsing and playing and performing. Um, that's very true for any discipline that you'll find in the conservatory. But I also had a lot of colleagues in the conservatory who went on to other fields that maybe seemed very distantly or unrelated altogether. Um, I had a percussionist friend who went on to law school after they graduated from uh, conservatory. I've had students go into med school um, after doing conservatory auditions and deciding that's actually what I want to be doing. So the skills that you're taught as an artist um, do apply, you know, very much to to the practice that you have. But as a composer, I learned management skills. I learned uh, interpersonal skills. I learned how to be detail oriented, and those are skills that translate to any number of different professional pursuits after after college. I know that I wouldn't have been able to run a music department in a high school if I hadn't known how to manage people and to create schedules and create timelines and create goals that groups can move towards together. And a lot of that translates to business, entrepreneurship, and other fields. So your education can be a stepping stone um, to a number of different different areas that people find rewarding in different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, so many of the, and honestly, businesses are often looking for people with so-called soft skills, right? They know mm -hmm. that what you learn in college is usually not going to be directly applicable. So, um, right. all right. So let's talk about what the um, audition process is like. Like, let's kind of get into the nitty gritty of the advice that maybe you've given your students when they're like, I want to go to Juilliard or I want to go to one of these, you know, really selective or even like a moderately selective, which is still pretty selective, I think, when it comes to mm -hmm. audition based programs. What sort of tips would you be giving? 
Yeah, this day and age, it's actually a lot easier to connect with faculty than it used to be. Um, I think people are a lot more used to sort of video conferencing and making those types of digital connections. It used to be that you'd have to kind of travel, visit, do a summer program. But the number one tip that I give to students is don't go into an audition cold. Don't go into an audition without first knowing who you're auditioning with. Um, a big, big part of going on to conservatory is finding the right faculty member that you're going to be studying under. This is still a master apprentice kind of style learning. And you need to know that that individual is going to work well with you and you're going to work well with that individual. So the first step for auditioning I always give students is a year a year and a half, two years before, um, reach out to the faculty at a conservatory. Say that you're interested in possibly attending. Um, would they like, or would they be able to do a lesson? Would they be able to um, do a virtual lesson? Um, you might be in town or you might not be able to travel there. Um, but moving around and kind of getting to know um, those faculty um, who you might work with is a great first step. So that when you do encounter them in the audition later on, a year or two later, um, you'll know who they are. You'll have worked with them previously. And you're really just kind of updating them on the progress that you've made since that time that you met. Um, as far as the actual audition goes, um, auditions are all about building your repertory list. So you need to spend significant amounts of time before an audition, uh, making sure that you have the right uh, pieces, um, the right musical pieces to perform in that audition. You have the right comfort level with the different styles of music that you're going to be asked to perform. Um, you will probably be tasked with performing one Baroque piece, one classical piece, one romantic piece. Um, so that's a process not only of learning the music, but also finding what your strengths are and what your tastes are as a musician that showcase your abilities. Um, so most of the audition um, advice that I give to students begins long before their audition. Um, and then I think this sort of stereotype that we have of the audition, walking into this room, this panel of people that are there to judge you and you're nervous and, um, you know, maybe shaking. Um, a lot of that gets alleviated if you, if you have the right preparation for it. Um, and really auditions should be a conversation with those, those individuals that shouldn't be that kind of uh, image that we see in the movies. Mm hmm. I mean, are the faculty, this is just me as like an outsider, are the faculty kind of scary in those auditions? Or are they trying to put people, their students at ease? Or is it can they just be a mix depending on the personalities? It can definitely be a mix. And musicians, just like any artists, are known for their eccentricities. So I've been in some scary auditions. I've been in some mm -hmm. totally friendly auditions that I didn't expect. Mm -hmm. um, but by and large, uh, the reason that a, a faculty member is teaching is in the conservatory is because they want their students to succeed. And they want um, to carry on that kind of legacy of teaching that was taught to them. And then they want to impart to the next generation. So it's really about finding fit. It's the same conversation that we have with colleges in general. Um, but it's just in a slightly different format. So when students reach out to faculty, oftentimes they're very nervous the first couple of times. Um, so maybe don't start with the Juilliard faculty or you know, mm -hmm. the Yale faculty. Um, maybe start with talking to faculty at a, a local state college or uh, a college that um, might be more on your probable or possible list. But, um, you know, kind of building up to that and, and working with the faculty, they want to, to find new students, they want to find the, that talent and that drive. Um, so I think in most cases, students are pleasantly surprised by how open the faculty are to receive them. Mm -hmm. and, um, Whittier, I worked at Whittier, which is a small liberal arts and sciences college in the LA area. And 
I, it's been a long time since I was there, but I think we even, uh, you know, th that school had wonderful music and um, theater programs and would have been so much more approachable to kind of start there, I think, for students. And and uh, we even offered scholarships around those. So, like, what a great way to kind of think about a school that isn't crazy selective but could really support you in your art. Um, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And sorry to cut you off, but no. just to jump in there. Um, those types of smaller college environments, those are often where younger faculty um, and faculty who are really hungry to build studios are located. And they are very interested in recruiting students who, who work well with their, their teaching approach. So definitely diversifying your college options, just like you know, you might want to apply to Harvard as an engineering major, but you should also be looking at other options as well. Um, it's the same. It's the same approach with the arts and conservatories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I um, the segment before this one, I was talking to someone with musical theory um, theater uh, was mm -hmm. his focus, and one of the things that we talked about is kind of the ability at some of these schools. Maybe you'd be the biggest fish in that pond, and maybe for you, that's actually the right environment. You know, yeah, exactly. Different. Everybody's different. And I'm a really, really big believer in the social multiplier effect. So just as much as the faculty is going to teach you a lot about your art form, I know that just as much, if not more of my music education was the environment that I was in. I was surrounded by composers who were all motivated, constantly writing music. I was surrounded by performers who wanted to perform my music. Um, and those are the lasting relationships that have stuck with me, you know, 10, 15 years on. I still collaborate with a lot of the people that I went to conservatory with. Um, I still occasionally talk to my faculty as well, but the the lasting musical relationship is one that's uh, your peers. So you're auditioning the school as much as you're auditioning for the school. I think when you start start going out there and, and really taking auditions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, make sure it's the right place for you where you'll be happy mm -hmm. too. Yeah, same as mm -hmm. any other college process. Right, you know? so, same as every other college you know, process. Yeah. yeah, and like a football player should really make sure or the soccer players should make sure they like the coach, for example, too. Yeah, yeah. You're not gonna you're not gonna succeed and become your best athlete if you're if you don't work well with that team and you don't work well with mm -hmm. that coaching. It's the same story in music. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Any any last thing? I mean, anything that um, I haven't asked about that you wish that I had um, that you would I say. The one thing I always like to emphasize with the arts is it's great to start early. It, this is true for music, and I'm speaking specifically about music today, but it's true for any art form. So if you're the type of student who likes to uh, play music, if you're the type of student who likes to draw and you're a freshman in high school, explore that interest. See where that interest takes you. Um, there's a lot of steps that happen between the time that you develop that interest and where you go with it. And it's a lot easier to make that transition. I didn't know I was going to be a musician until I was a junior in high school. I had played piano my entire life, but that wasn't on my radar as something that I could professionally do mm -hmm. um, or academically do. And so it's uh, I always encourage students, if they have that interest, keep it up. Um, keep developing those skills, keep following that interest, and you know, you'll know you be surprised where it can take you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Kurt, thank you so much. This is so helpful for me, and I'm quite sure for the people listening, too. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Okay. All right. So when we return, um, I will be talking with Alex Bickford about negotiating merit scholarships.
enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. In every college application, there's that moment of pause before a student hits send. Is this my best work? With Bright Horizons College Coach, your student will hit submit with confidence. We take the guesswork out of applying to college. Students get help with everything from essays, summer planning and visits, to testing strategy, merit aid, and more. As for our results, 100% of students have earned acceptances, nearly all to one of their top choice goals. Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome, Alex. Thanks so much for joining me on the show. Thanks, Sally. And thanks, for, Sally promised beforehand, no insulting me. So No insult. Well, I've known Alex since 2008. Uh, we were much younger than both of us and had brown <laughs> hair instead of gray. And uh, he's basically, I was saying, my younger brother uh, in that annoying way. So... <laughs> so. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. I'll, we'll we'll get on. We'll get to the point now. <laughs> so, all right. So the topic of our discussion today is: uh, Can people ask for more scholarship money? Like, how you know how does it work to negotiate for merit? Is there ever a downside to doing so? That let's let's dive right in. Yeah, absolutely. So the answer is: You can negotiate merit in some cases. Mm-hmm. So it certainly isn't across the board. It isn't with every school. There are some schools that are more likely to negotiate, some schools that are less likely to negotiate, or as they'd prefer to call it, reconsider. Uh, And then there are just some schools that just aren't going to do it at all. Uh, And it's not with every student. So it definitely depends on sort of your place in the pecking order. And I'm sure we'll dive more into that in a minute. But to answer your second question, as far as the downside, Really, I, there's not much in the way of downside. Uh, the worst thing they're going to do is say no. They're not going to say, hey, suddenly you're not accepted and we're getting rid of the scholarship we've already offered you. Uh, the worst case is you are where you are today and that's where you are. So in general, the, as long as it's done appropriately in a professional way, there's really no downside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've given, I've told you before, when I worked at the University of Chicago, um, there was a student who came to see me with his father, um, and he'd actually gotten a small scholarship, but his father called me up, tried to get one of our full scholarships, and I said, we 
We don't negotiate. His scholarship is what it is. Mm-hmm. And then the dad even brought his son. They showed up at the office. I don't know, I guess, hoping that in person they right. would be so impressive that I would fold or they could talk to someone else. And the answer was the same. We don't negotiate. It doesn't matter who you talk to. Sure. They will tell you the same thing. But I didn't then go and, as you said, yank his initial scholarship. Right. In fact, I I didn't even take his name. I was just like, we don't negotiate. Right. You know, and, and he, it was a little weird to show up at the office, but it wasn't actually that weird when you think about the stress of paying for college. So I was sympathetic, but it, the answer was the same. But I did, it didn't hurt them, you know, because as you said, they were not inappropriate. They were polite. Absolutely. You know? So. And if we had talked to them, I might have suggested that uh, he try to schedule an appointment as opposed to just showing up because yes. there is some upside to, you know, going in person and it's much more difficult for Sally to say no in person than for her, for her to say no uh, over email or on the phone or something. Yeah. Like that. Well, and the fact is that, yeah, scheduling an appointment might have made a difference at a school like Whittier, right? At Chicago, right. it was kind of like, look, people are trying to beat down the door sure. here. This isn't going to help you. Right. But you've remained polite, so everything's fine, you know? Right. So, um, so, but that, that actually leads pretty well to the next point, which is who should a family contact when they're trying to negotiate? So that's a really good question, and it depends a little bit from school to school, but in general, most merit offers, uh, and if we're talking about purely scholarship dollars here, purely merit here, and not need-based financial aid, if we're talking about purely merit, generally speaking, those offers are coming from the Office of Admissions. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you're just looking at merit aid, I would most likely contact either your admissions rep, or if you have somebody you have a connection with, certainly, if there's a letter where you did receive a, a scholarship offer already and whoever's on that letter. And then, you know, in the last case uh, scenario would be to contact the general admissions office and hope they forward you on uh, to the right person. But certainly if you have a connection, that's great. Even going on to the school's website to see who your admissions rep would be, mm-hmm. establishing that uh, connection would be a, a, certainly a really good start. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it can really help. This, by the way, might be a reason to be in touch with your admission rep, get have an interview, um, things like that. And I'm just going to go back to Whittier again. Like, yeah, the person, if you wanted, if you were hoping to get a bigger scholarship, starting with me would have been the right idea when when you you know when I worked at Whittier College, and I'm sure that would be the case now too. So, with you, was that you, they were establishing a relationship with you, uh, and then you were sort of their advocate. Exactly, you, exactly. Absolutely. I was that. I was in charge of multiple high schools in the Los Angeles area, and if they set up an appointment, if I was in the office, if I wasn't traveling for recruitment, it would be with me. And you know, parents when they called, they'd be put through to me, and that was absolutely. You know, and and that I think is something it's important to note for families, like when you're applying to these institutions that admit that are not highly rejective, but that actually admit students in high (laughs) percentages, you actually can get to know someone and then that can help you at every stage in the process. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then um, what about like, so we've kind of talked about, obviously, you want to be polite, but what are some specifics about the approach um, you know, what are some of your suggestions there? Sure. So I wouldn't uh, start by scheduling an appointment. I wouldn't start by going into the office. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even start by picking up the phone. What I'd start is putting things on paper. 
because generally speaking, if they are going to, in the end, give you more money, they're going to want some details here. They're going to kind of like make your case to me and mm-hmm. we're going to document what your case is. So I like to start with an, an email to the office uh, or whoever you're working with. <clears throat> and I kind of like a family approach. This is from, you know, the student, but maybe the parents too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the student has a lot of the insights into why they love that school, but the parents have more insight probably into the financials. So I first like to tell the school, this is this is where I want to be, right? If, if we make the financials work here, I'm going to deposit. Mm-hmm. Schools really want to hear that we are going to get this student if we give them more money. They don't want to feel like they're battling for third or fourth place. Mm-hmm. And only if we have the best offer, is there any chance that we get this student? They want to know that they are the school. And we just mm-hmm. need to work out uh, the financial details. So I love the school. Maybe a couple of reasons why you love the school. And then the next paragraph would be anything new that you would have put on your admissions application today if you were applying today. So if your GPA has been boosted, if your test scores have improved, if you won any awards, anything that somebody like you, Sally, if they were reviewing mm-hmm. uh, your admissions application would say, oh, that's interesting to note. And that would have been good to know back in November. But now we have that information today. Mm-hmm. So any new information from an academic or extracurricular standpoint uh, is a good thing. And then it's competing offer time. Mm-hmm. Ideally, you have competitive schools uh, that are considered to be true competitors of this institution you're trying to negotiate with. Uh, and you have some offers that either make that school less expensive or maybe a, just a better scholarship offer. Uh, and I like to list two or three schools out if you have them. Mm-hmm. And say, you know, we realize your time is valuable. This is a big decision for us. Finances are obviously playing a role. We've been really fortunate to get these other offers. We're hoping we can close the gap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I really like what you said about making it clear that money is what's holding you back, but otherwise you love the school. Right. right? Like it's it's kind of interesting to me how sometimes people think that somehow insulting the school, like, sure. I'm doing you a favor by looking. Yeah. I'm like, well, please go elsewhere then, because right. this is not what I want in the dorm with my students who are thrilled to be here. <laughs> you guys aren't used car salespeople. Right. This is not like, you know, hey, you know, I'm tr- I'm doing anything I can to put you in this car. I don't care how much you hate mm-hmm. it. It's mm-hmm. not like that. The schools right. generally want you to want to be there. Right. They want you to succeed. They want you to be there for four years. They want you to graduate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, yeah, making that mutual beneficial connection. Exactly. Exactly. So is there a, a t- kind of a best time to negotiate scholarships, like a preferred time? I would say as soon as you have all the leverage you're going to have. So when the majority of your other offers have come in uh, would be the time to approach it. And so that could be, you know, in years other than this year, uh, this year's, you know, been very, a very weird year, but generally it could be as early as December or mm-hmm. January. And people say, geez, that seems so early. Uh, and my thought is, well, what if they do truly have a limited budget for mm-hmm. these requests? I'd prefer to be on the early end of that budget because we have seen in the past that even if you're on the early end and they say no, well, as May 1st gets closer and as their numbers maybe aren't quite adding up to where they hoped they might be, they might come back and say, oh, we've reconsidered and here's a little bit extra. So mm-hmm. I'd rather be too early than too late. So as soon as you have the leverage, so for a lot of families right now, they're kind of finalizing all the leverage that they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
got most of their offers. And I know this year has been weird from a financial mm-hmm. aid point in the FAFSA and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Because we're talking simply about scholarships, this is outside of that a right. little bit. Uh, so we can move forward now. Would, mm-hmm. would yeah, I mean, it really seems like as soon as you're admitted, if there's a shortfall, start the communication process. Sure. Yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, you might not have offers from other schools then, but just letting them know, hey, listen, we, I really want to come here. We're working out the financials. Maybe I'll come back to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, just sort of setting that stage, stage and establishing, hey, I should be on the lookout. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I can tell you, actually, again, talking about Whittier, one of the ways that I was able to get a higher scholarship for one of my students is I went to the person in charge and I said, look, I think he'll attend if we just boost it this much. <laughs> right. And I was like, I really think he's going to deposit. And and so they were like, you know what? OK, we want him, you know, and, uh, you know, and he was a great kid, but he wasn't like. Sure. A huge recruit or something like that. He was just a good right. kid, but I'm like, right. we can get him. And, uh, and yeah, and he came and it was wonderful. In, in, you know, sort of kind of piggybacking off of that, if the letter isn't successful or you don't hear back, it's not bad to put on the letter, Hey, I'm going to reach out. Or mm-hmm. my mom and dad are going to reach out in a couple of weeks to see if there's been any kind of resolution and let whoever is the best person to make that communication reach out. But be ready to deposit. There have mm-hmm. certainly been cases out there where the admissions office says, all right, great, we can do this, but we're really going to need you to deposit. So mm-hmm. be ready to make that commitment mm-hmm. uh, when you make the phone call. In the letter, you don't have to be ready to make that commitment. But if you make a phone call, just be ready to say, hey, listen, I can put a credit card down right now to mm-hmm. make the deposit. Uh, mm-hmm. If, in fact, we're going to settle the rest of the financial details. Yeah, good. All right. So in, I don't know if you can answer this question in like one quick minute. Uh, but do you see a change in how schools are approaching negotiations in this economy? <laughs> I think that's a loaded question. Yeah, <laughs> we haven't seen we certainly haven't seen it yet. But I am curious because I think public school and you tell me, Sally, public schools, especially flagship public institution applications, seem to be trending uh, on the upward direction. I think that those schools are going to see many more enrollment this year as people are uncertain about where the economy is. And mm-hmm. so that's sort of a guaranteed, we know what the price is going to be for a lot mm-hmm. of students. So I think some of those private colleges that might consider those schools to be competitors might be saying, we need to we need to kind of step up our financial game here. Uh, so I certainly could see that happening. We saw mm-hmm. this happen uh, several years ago, uh, maybe 10 years ago when the economy was downturning a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Private schools were more willing to offer more money because they prefer to fill seats with mm-hmm. less money than leave those seats empty. Yeah. But in any case, I think we can close out with this. You can always ask. Yep. No absolutely. downside to asking. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Alex. Thanks, Allie. All right. And thank you to Charlie Murphy and Kurt Isaacson. Um, join us next week when we'll be getting an update from the experts at the test prep agency Arbor Bridge about what is happening with the SAT and discussing when it might make sense to appeal your need-based, not merit, but need-based financial aid package. And finally, remember, you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on Voice America. You can also download every show for free on Amazon Music or iTunes. Um, if you want to watch us on video, you can go to our blog posts on blog.getintocollege.com. And don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. 
Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation. New episodes drop every Thursday. The goal of this show is to demystify the college admissions process for families around the globe. To help with this mission, please leave a review and share with your friends. And to learn more about Bright Horizons College Coach, visit GetIntoCollege.com.